This morning as we uh, were thinking, in, in fact the last two Sundays we've been looking at, at events in Jesus' life leading up to, uh, uh, to Easter, to next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I want to kind of stay in that theme a little bit and, and look at this uh, chapter here in John 17 for a, a context for the message. It's a message that um, has really blessed me as I prepared for it, as I studied, and as I th- um, made some application in my own life uh, to what Jesus had to say here. Now, you'll recognize chapter 17 of John as uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer, we call it, um, where he prays for us, for his disciples, for himself, uh, prior to all of these events that uh, lead up to his resurrection, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And um, one of the, uh, the phrases that he, he said here in, I'll just, you can just look at verses 20 and 21. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. And that's the title of the message this morning, that they all may be one. Um, unity. What is, what is unity? Uh, we like unity. We like when everyone is getting along together. Uh, nobody that I know of really likes conflict and and discord. We we stay away from that. It's it's ugly. It it hurts, and so we we like unity. Uh, what is what is unity, and what does it look like today? Jesus was praying that they all may be one. And he's praying to all believers that they would have unity. And so, you know, how, how do we apply that today to us um, in our churches, in our, um, in our gatherings? What does that look like? So I want us to consider that uh, this morning. Um, in this prayer, uh, Jesus as the high priest, uh, the, the only real high priest who can intercede on our behalf is praying for the whole human race. And so that's who he is praying for, that they would be one, uh, particularly to, the, uh, to us who would, who would believe on his name, who would, would follow up as believers. The, um, the idea of, of unity, I'm just going to go back a little bit. Um, David, in his um, writings and psalms, he realized the, the beauty of unity. And he said in Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, 
descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. And as you think about Aaron, the priest, standing there and the, the oil that's been anointed on him and it's running down and it's dripping off of his beard, you might think, well, what a mess. But see, David looked at that. He, he saw the beauty of that because that was worship. That was, um, that was Aaron interceding for him. Uh, that was Aaron, the high priest, uh, the, the only one that could go into the holy place. And, and he was being prepared for that. And David was just reveling in, in the beauty of this worship experience. And so he saw the, the oil running down Aaron's beard, not as something messy, but something beautiful. Because it was worshipful. And he saw the, the beauty of what that represented, and that was the unity. He said how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. They had, they had something in common. And they were experiencing something that nobody else among the other nations were experiencing. They, the, the Jews, the Israelites, were experiencing something precious that they had access to God like nobody else in the world had. And he said, it's beautiful. Well, the early church saw the importance of unity in Acts 4.32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. And one soul, neither did anyone say any of the things that he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Now some people uh, interpret this verse differently than others. And they th some think, what? hey, that's the way the, the New Testament church was. We should live that way too. So let's all pool our resources. We'll not have, you know, all things in, we'll have everything in common uh, there are groups that have tried to do that, and, um, well, it hasn't worked out very well. Um, but at this time, and for the early church, it worked. And it was important for them. They, had, they were coming together at a very important time in history, at the beginning of the church. And there was a, a unity that brought them together. They were of one heart and one soul. And I think some of the, the fact that they brought all of their possessions together uh, was not the thing that unified them. What unified them is that they were of one heart and one soul. And there was a beautiful unity there in the early church. Paul wrote um, in a, a couple of different places about unity. In Romans 15, he said, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said that his, his admonition, his plea to the churches was that they would be like-minded, that there would be a unity and their thinking, a unity in, in what they do and in what, how they glorify God. Uh, that, that's what David saw, um, that, that unity in glorifying God, worshiping God. Paul also wrote, wrote in Ephesians, 
uh, 4, verses 3 to 6, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Notice how many times you use the word one. It's unity. Those are the things that unifies the body of believers. The Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In Philippians 2, verse 2, he said, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And so is it any wonder that Jesus prayed that they all may be one? And in today's society, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to have that kind of unity. And if you're experiencing that here, and it, and it appears that you are, uh, that's a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing to have that kind of unity. What does it take to have unity? Unity is um, where we get the word unanimous or oneness. Um, if you have a, a vote and it's a unanimous vote, that means there's, there's, there's unity. Uh, sometimes at conference we may have a, a vote and the moderator will just look around and say, well, that's unanimous. And that kind of gives you a good feeling. Sometimes he says, well, it's almost unanimous. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's still pretty good. Um, it's, it's the issues when he says, uh, uh, Brother David, would you help me count these votes? <laughs> then, then you know that we're just not quite all together on this. <clears throat> we want unity. We like that. Now, um, Let's think a little bit about what unity really is. What is it? Does, does unity mean that we all think alike? Does unity mean that we all look alike? Does unity mean that, that we all act alike and that we're some sort of cookie-cutter people that all came out of the same mold? You know, there are groups that, that try to achieve unity in that sense. And I've got a little secret for you. It doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't happen that way. So we need to identify, you know, what unity really is. Because I think we'd all agree that that is not unity. The answer to those questions is no. You see, we are all unique. We have our different personalities. We have um, our... our, our uh, you know, things in, in, in that, that personal, we, we call them idiosyncrasies sometimes. And, and, and some people just respond to things differently. And, and we all come from different backgrounds. And that shapes us, uh, you know, who we are and, and what kind of um, people we become and, and how we respond to situations. And all of that is different. Does that mean that we cannot have unity? Well, I believe that we can. Uh, you see, God can take all of these different things 
and he can bring us all together and, and, it, and there can be unity. It's just like the example that Paul used of, of a body. You know, the, um, the arm, the hands, the legs, the head, all have different functions. But it works together to create a unified body. And you could go on and on with that, that illustration. You know, um, I can't use my elbow to do something I do with my hand. Uh, but you need both. You, you need uh, the diversity of the body, and yet you can still have unity. <clears throat> um, turn with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll come back to uh, Jesus' prayer uh, more towards the end. Um, but in First Corinthians 1, Paul addresses this, this issue of unity. And, and I want to look at that um, a little bit here. <clears throat> you know, when you think of unity, uh, unity has to exist in, in lots of different areas. It, it, it has to exist even in um, civic clubs, um, in, um, well, in, say, take the fire department, for instance. Uh, there's, there's something that has to uh, unify any group of people. And so for the fire department, it's that we're going to uh, protect um, the, the property and people of our community. That's what unifies them. If their, um, if their unity was, if their goal was simply to have um, the best looking trucks in the county, um, would that work? Um, that they, you see, they have to focus upon something that unifies them, that brings the people uh, together. And that's what drives the organization. Um, and so as they put out fires and they respond to emergencies and, and so forth, that is their focus and that is their goal and that's what drives their finances and that's what drives everything that they do. And that's what unifies the group. Uh, a civic organization, say the Ruritan Club, may have uh, their goal is to to meet the needs in their community and um, some humanitarian efforts. And so that's what you, that's what brings them together because all of these people are interested in doing that. Um, and if you're not, you, you're not going to last long in that kind of organization because you're not focused upon the goal. So as we think about church life, what is it that unifies us? Well, uh, Paul addresses this. Let me read verses 10 to 17 in uh, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Besides, 
I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And so Paul said here there was, there was dissensions, there was disagreements. Uh, in fact, the, the Corinthian church had some pretty serious problems. Uh, if, we had, if, if we had problems in our churches like they had, uh, I'd be pretty concerned. And so Paul was really addressing some serious issues uh, that they had. Um, there were people saying, look, I'm, I'm following Paul or, or I'm following Apollos and had these different people. And, um, and some even said, well, I'm following Christ. Well, I think I would hopefully wind up in that camp because, you see, that's what has to unify us. And that's what, what Paul was trying to bring about, that, that any of these other things is going to create disunity. So they have to focus upon one goal. You know, I'll bring the fire department back in. That goal has to be to, to protect and, and serve the, the citizens of your community. And if you get outside of that, it's not going to work. And so the church was, was uh, getting uh, spread out into these different factions because of this disunity. So Paul's ad, uh, admonition to them was, first of all, he said, speak the same thing. In other words, have the same voice, the same message. What is the voice and the message of your church, of, of your congregation? Is it speaking the same thing? Do people that, that interact with each of you, do they get the same voice from each of you? And that doesn't mean that your phrases are going to be word for word, but do they get the same message as to what the purpose of church is? Do they get the same message of, of things such as uh, non-resistance, uh, non-conformity, other uh, biblical principles that is clearly taught in Scripture uh, that, that we uphold and we teach? Do they get, are we all unified in, in those things? And are we promoting the same voice in, in all of the doctrines and teachings of the Bible? Uh, that's something important to think about. Paul goes on to say, he said, let, no, uh, let there be no divisions among you. Now, I'm not a Greek student, uh, but it's important that we, we understand uh, a little bit of the origins of the Bible. The New Testament uh, Greek is important to understand word meanings since, it, since obviously all we have is a translation into English. Um, and so the Greek scholar W.E. Vine, he, he lists four distinct steps of, of division or dissension and how it kind of looks like and how it relates to what Paul said here. The, the first one, which is in these sort of escalate in, in level of, of uh, sev, uh, severity, if you will. Uh, the first one would be stasis. Uh, which is sort of a strong disagreement or a dissension. This word was used uh, in the account when Paul and Barnabas had that little dissension between them. They had that disagreement with them. Now, obviously, they were both believers. They were both teaching the word of God, uh, but yet they had a little bit of dissension. That was, that was stasis. And so they, 
they got over it. They went their separate ways, and, and the word of God spread. Uh, so it wasn't that big of a deal. We don't think too much about that uh, issue. The next word is dicostasia, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but this is, just, this is more than just a disagreement. Um, this would be used with someone who would actually cause dissension. Like, you know, they're the troublemaker. They're the ones that are causing the dissension. Um, that word is used in Romans 16, verse 17, when Paul said, Mark them which cause divisions among you. And so it kind of escalates. He said, you know, look out for them. The third one is schisma. Uh, which we would get the word schism. We use that in English, um, which is a more of a, a severe rend or tear where there's a separation that has already occurred. Um, and Jesus used that, well, he didn't use that word, but it's interpreted into English in, in a statement that he made when he was using that illustration that no one who sews would, would sew unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Because when it would shrink, then it would pull away and the tear would be worse than before, is the illustration he used. That tear, that, that rend, is the word schism. Um, it's, it's already, it's pulled apart. It's already there. Paul used that uh, term as well, that there in 1 Corinthians 12, that there should be no schism in the body, uh, that rending, that tearing. And then the fourth one is uh, heresis, which is where we get the English word heresy, which is more of a mature and established separation where it's a done deal. It's, it's the, the separation is so severe, it's so deep that um, the chances of reconciliation are slim. Um, and Peter use that word, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Uh, that word heresies there is, is that um, word where it's just a complete destruction. And that's what we want to avoid. But here in, in 1 Corinthians 1, the verses that I read, when Paul said, let there be no divisions among you, he's actually using the third word, schism. Uh, that severe rend or tearing, um, suggesting that the Corinthian church was in serious trouble. Uh, there was so much division among them, it was, it was already resulting in tearing apart. And, and that's why he said, let there be no divisions among you. Now, notice what Paul said then later. He said, but be perfectly joined together. Be perfectly joined together. I want us to think about that phrase for a little bit. That phrase is actually uh, comes from one single Greek word. If you'll allow me to continue with this, your Greek lesson this morning. Uh, that Greek word is kartatizo. Uh, um, and it's, uh, it's used in three different instances in the New Testament. <clears throat> um, the first one is in Hebrews 11.3. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. The world being framed, that's kartatizo, that is uh, uh, being put together. 
he, he if you could say, the, the, uh, assembled. He assembled the world. He, he fit it together. Uh, he, he framed it by the word of God. The second one is in Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. There the word prepared is also kartatizo. It is, he has prepared a body for Jesus. A perfect body on this earth that, that Jesus could use while he was on earth. It, it, was, it was perfect. It was uh, put together. Kartatizo. And then the third one is in Matthew 4.21. Um, Jesus, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. The word mending is also kartatizo. They were, they were putting together their nets. And, and this, this one is the one I like the most of all of those when we think about that uh, being perfectly joined together. Um, is mending, taking something that is less than perfect and putting it together. Um, the, the first one there, we think of, of, of the creation, of God you know, framing the world. Uh, we want to be just as, as, as unified as, as God did when he put everything into motion and everything that, that works in, in synchrony. And, it, and it's, it's so beautiful that, you know, if you, you study stars and planets, uh, you see the, the rhythm and the patterns. And, and scientists know years, years ahead exactly where the moon's going to be and, the, and uh, which planets are going to be and where you can find them and... and uh, it's so predictable that men have used planets for and stars for navigation because it's so predictable. And so it all fits together. We need to be joined together as perfectly as God formed the body of Jesus, but also as perfectly mended together as a broken net that those fishermen were using. They were sitting there mending those, those nets and taking, taking something that is imperfect and making it functional again, making it useful. And, and, and so it is the same word that, that Paul used here, to be perfectly joined together, just like that, that net. You know, we all have our, our differences, and we all have our failures. We have things in our life that, that we don't like ourselves, and sometimes we see things in other people that we just dislike and, and maybe rub us the wrong way. But that doesn't mean we can't have unity in the body of believers because, you see, God can take all of those things, those imperfections, and he can perfectly join us together so that there's unity and so that we're useful and, and we can get over some of the, the, the issues and things that we see in other people and realize that, you know, that's okay. It's okay if that person has that little issue in their life that I don't like. We can look past that when we see what God really wants us to have in, in 
the body of believers in, in the church so that there is unity. If we want that kind of unity, there will be that kind of give and take and sacrifice among us. And that's, that's what Paul wanted to see uh, with the Corinthian church. <clears throat> Taking something that is imperfect and, and mending us and blending us together to make us functional. Well, let's go back to uh, John chapter 17. <clears throat> the high priestly prayer. The, uh, the first part, the, uh, verses 1 to 5, uh, Jesus prays for himself. In uh, verses 6 to 19, he is praying specifically for his disciples. But then verses 20 to 26, he's praying for all believers. And that's where uh, we are here with the, uh, the theme and the title of this message. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. You know, that's such a beautiful prayer. And I've often thought about, you know, when the, when the disciples early on with Jesus, they asked him, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and Jesus prayed to them, we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A very, very simple prayer. I've always been intrigued by the simplicity of that prayer. But here in, in John 17, as Jesus is coming to the end of his life on earth, we see a totally different kind of prayer. And it is, it is a prayer that has depth to it. It is a prayer that, that reaches to every person on the face of the earth uh, not just he's not just praying for himself and for his disciples but he's praying for all people it truly is a high priestly prayer because he is there as the high priest for uh, that no one else could could fit uh, it's a, a position that no one else could be in not even Aaron could not be in the the position that Jesus is with the Father. And so part of this prayer is him describing that relationship and what his desire is for us and believers and churches. And so he prays that we would be one, we would be unified, just as the Father and the Son are one. He says in verse 21, uh, just as they are one, that we would be one. 
And it's not just that, that he wants us to be unified here on earth while he and the Father are, are one here. But he goes on to say in verse 22 that, that they would be one with us. You see, that's, that begins to focus down the unity and where it really belongs. You know, we could be, we could be unified in if, if we all wore the same color. There'd be a certain level of unity, but it wouldn't go any farther than that. Jesus wants there to be a unity the same as he and the Father have, and then he, he connects the two, that we can have the unity with them and be unified with the Son and with the Father. So that, in verse, this is mentioned in verse 21 and 23, so that the world may believe. You see, there's a purpose behind it. So that the world may believe and know that he was sent, that Jesus was the one who was sent to bring about that kind of unity. He also prays that we would be made perfect in one. And, and that, is, uh, that unity there is, well, the NIV interprets it this way, to be brought to complete unity, to complete unity, to a perfect unity, where there is absolutely no discord or, or dislike among us. And so the goal is, in his prayer, is that we would eventually achieve that kind of unity with him and with the Father. And he, then he said in verse 23, so that not only that the world would believe, but that the world would know, the world would know his love for them. And so think about that for a moment. As, as we, as believers, are unified in that way with the Father, it speaks a message to the world. It speaks a message to people around us that, that they can be a part of it, that they too can experience the love of Jesus that he has for the whole world. They can experience it, they can, it can be a part of their life, and that they too can be a part of the family of God. And then he says in verse 24 that, that we can be with him and behold his glory. And so you see it keeps escalating. Not that we just stay here and, and, and have a happy unity, but that someday we can experience what he is experiencing with the Father. That we can be there in his presence and we can behold the glory of the Father and the glory of the unity of, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together. That, that he will eventually bring it to a complete conclusion. And that's, that's what real unity is. So Jesus truly is our intercessor and he brings it out in there in verse 25, he says, The world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. You see, he truly is the high priest that, that has a position that nobody else has ever achieved. He knows the Father because he came from the Father, and he is there now experiencing that kind of unity. And he wants us to have that. He's the only one that has that intimate knowledge and relationship with the Father. And it's through him that he's connecting us 
with that kind of unity. I know that some of this seems like it's just so far out there, it's hard to attain. But you know it's real. It can, it can be real for each one of us. It can be real for you here at Ebenezer. It can be real for us at Caswell. It can be real for any church. And you know, when I look around and, and see so many divisions that are taking place in churches, uh, groups that are splitting up, uh, factions that are happening, you know, we are blessed. We have something that is, is absolutely wonderful. And you here at Ebenezer, uh, I don't know you as, as intimately as, as the rest of you do because I'm not here all the time and so I don't interact with you, but from all evidences, there is a real sense of unity here. And that's to be commended. And I say bless you and, and, and treasure that and nurture that and don't hide it so that the world can see, so that it can speak to the world. But always remember to keep that unity focused upon the right thing, focused upon the thing that, uh, that, is, that is going to carry weight and bring others into a right relationship with Jesus. And that is our unity must be in Jesus Christ and nothing else. We can't have unity in, in other things. We can't have... Um, we, can, we can do some of those other things, but that cannot be our focus. That cannot be what drives our unity. It must be in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. <clears throat> we were talking with a, a lady down there and uh, lives not too far from us. And she goes to a, another denomination. And uh, she's just she's been going to a couple different churches and the one that she sort of called her home church for many, many years, uh, she said has dwindled down to just a, a few people. I'm not sure how many are there on church on a Sunday morning or even if they meet every Sunday, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's just a, a few people that meet. And one of the things that frustrates her as we talk with her is that she said there's no outreach they don't want to do any outreach. They have a, a little group that they're comfortable with and they don't want anybody else coming in and messing up their little family. And so their outreach is, has basically died. And how sad that is. You see, there's a unity there, but it's not going anywhere. It's not accomplishing anything. The unity that that Jesus wants us to have, that he prays for here in this, this wonderful prayer, is a unity that goes somewhere, that's effective, and that's going to hold us together. It's going to bind us together in spite of our differences, in spite of the, the personality differences that we have. It will bind us together, and it will speak a message to the world. May the Lord bless you. Let's have a closing song.